Let's do it. Chopping Wood Inside. Welcome to this week's episode of the Chopping Wood Inside podcast, the podcast for Twin Peaks conspiracy theorists and aficionados. My name is Murphy, the host, and I've got my little sidekick here named Tom. Are you there? Did you say Leland's daughter was murdered? Murdered? Let's get in the boat. Uh, That's a great segue. Good job. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, Doing fantastic. We're here to talk about... uh, the Twin Peaks original series, uh, all the way up through Firewalk with Me and uh, our origin story, um, which might explain why we actually are uh, doing a podcast right now on Twin Peaks. Uh, Tom, do you want to lead us off on our magical mystery tour? Bring us <laughs> back to 1991 when we were in seniors in high school. Well, I think it's probably good for me to lead off since uh, you've already got the date wrong of 1991. It was actually 1990. Um, so I think I'm my memory might be a little that's why bit you're here. Yeah, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm on the payroll, right? I got the decade right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, so obviously the show uh, premiered um, April eighth, nineteen ninety. Murphy and I were in, in high school, but for me, I'm just going to give a brief backstory. Um, I had seen Blue Velvet. I believe that was the only. Well, I'd seen Elephant Man. Um, when I was like when it came out, but I didn't really understand it that much because I was really young and I didn't know it was a David Lynch film or anything. But I did see Blue Velvet, and I was immediately, um, I immediately fell in love with that film and the style of David Lynch. So from that point forward, he was on my radar, and uh, and but I don't. Which is interesting is that I don't really recall Twin Peaks being promoted. Um, or at least, uh, you know, hearing about it, reading about it, people talking about it. Now, this was Texas in 1990 and uh, obviously pre-internet. And uh, Murphy and I were in high school, so we had, uh, you know, school and uh, other things, other on, things our on our mind. Other things on our mind. Right, exactly. So, um, and actually for me, in that, the spring of 1990, when it, when it premiered, I had uh, met a girl and I, I was pursuing her. I mean, it was it turned out to be my first girlfriend, and uh, I was not focused on anything um, other than her. So I missed the whole boat. I missed the the, the whole first season um, of Twin Peaks. Even though, but I did at some point realize that it was on because there were I think two moments where I was home. I think it was airing on Thursday night, or I think it was Thursday night, and uh, I caught like a couple of scenes. And I go, oh yeah, Twin Peaks, the the, the new Lynch project or whatever. But um, it was in the middle of, of the show or whatever, and I was distracted and, and I didn't like you know kind of catch on to it. Um, so I missed pretty much the whole first season of Twin Peaks. Now, additionally, 
I'm not a TV guy. I never really was a TV guy. I never um, really watched shows in the 80s, uh, television shows. I was more like a movie guy. So uh, that's or the 90s I, or the 2000s. Right. I, I never really got into TV except for TV. Twin Peaks. Um, but um, I think that was another reason why is because, you know, pre-internet, you know, if I wasn't watching ABC, the, the network that it was on, then you know how was I to know you know it was on it's et cetera et cetera. So although um, Tom, so you did I read Daily Variety. You were one of the few people I knew in the world that uh, would go down to the newsstand in Texas as a high school kid and uh, read uh, Daily Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, all that stuff. So how could you not have seen some uh, advertisements for Twin Peaks at least in Variety? Well, I had okay. So I had like um, after like I think right after high school, I subscribed to Daily Variety and and but. It had to get. It had to be mailed to me. So I would always get like you know the, these bulk daily varieties, like three or four at a time. But they'd be like a week or two old. But um, I would I would go to a bookstore and go to the magazine section and find weekly variety. And I do remember in 1987 at some point I was um, at a mall and I read. I, I somehow came across um, a blurb that said this movie that was to be directed by David Lynch and written by Mark Frost and David Lynch called One Saliva Bubble um, was going to be in production, but the article that I read said that the um, the funding you know went kaput. I think Dino De Laurentiis, who was going to produce it, had some financial trouble, and the film never got made. As he was wont to do. <laughs> right, so I remember being like really kind of bummed out about it. So I would um, go and try to scope things out, read USA Today and, and what have you, but... Uh, um, somehow, I really, I think it was the distraction of high school and one particular girl. It was a, a perfect storm for me to miss Twin Peaks. So I missed the entire pretty much first season other than seeing a couple of scenes. Now, Murphy, tell me yeah, about Yeah, it's interesting your... that, like, yeah, it's a contrast that a girlfriend actually got me into the series. Um, I had never seen, I think I maybe saw uh, the scene in episode seven when they're going up to the log lady's house and they play into the night and they're walking through the woods and you see the crow. Uh, and then you dissolve to the four guys, you know, Cooper and Truman and Hawk, and I think it was, uh, who was the other guy? Warren Dr. Frost. Hayward, and Dr. I think that Hayward. was episode, I think that was episode six. Yeah, so that's all I had ever seen, but I was like, whoa, that that's pretty cool, because it was very captivating, and I loved Lynch. I'd seen Dune in the theater as a kid, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> The Elephant Man uh, on tape, on, or on PBS with my mother when I was about seven or eight, and I was, it was terrifying. Um but anyway, so I was dating this girl for a few weeks, and she had uh, happened to have taped all of the first season of Twin Peaks on VHS, which is all we had back then. So we started watching it, and uh, I fell in love with the show a little more than I fell in love with the girl. But uh, I passed those tapes on to Tom, like uh, you know, contraband, like we, we did back in, when there wasn't the internet. And uh, you went crazy. Is that that's how you first saw Twin Peaks? Was through the tapes that I gave you, or did yeah, you watch them together? You... No, I don't. I, I think eventually, but I think what happened was is that. So I was the, I was on the train a little earlier than you, or I was the first one. I believe so I because I remember um, getting the tapes from you, and we had. So the first season was a pilot in seven episodes, and we had the pilot in six episodes. We did not have the um, like the third episode, which is actually number four if you include the pilot. It was the one of Laura's funeral. We we didn't have that tape. She didn't for some reason. She didn't tape that or have it so we she wasn't we, home that weekend for like she, Thursday. She, uh, so we, ne we didn't see that for a long time but I remember when I got the tapes um, I, I, I binged them that night uh, it was I remember it was a school night and I thought okay I'll just watch you know the first you know 
you know, a couple of hours or whatever. <laughs> you binged them. You and I did. Them. I stayed up all night watching, like, you know, whatever. What is it? Like, you know, eight, nine hours of the first season. And stayed up all night and, and, and told my mom. I didn't have to beg my mom to, like, call in that next day because I was, like, you know, sleepy. And I didn't go to school the next day. And I think what I did was I think I, I watched them again. And then I remember you and I, I remember watching Theo them. lets you just binge watch Twin Peaks twice, to 18 hours, just consecutively. Like well, no, was, I think it was like eight or nine hours. School. It was the first season. But I didn't really have to twist my mother's arm to call in for me. I was actually put on a, uh, an intended attendance policy in my senior year. You missed 66 um, days, Tom. 66 <laughs> days. Yeah, Ferris Bueller. I mean, come on, nine times. I had him... You beat, you know, by uh, you know fifty-seven. Yeah, days you're or a d- double secret probation at the end. You couldn't miss a day, like you uh, or you would not have graduated. They That's what they said. I go, if you missed another day, you're semester. yeah. So, which is really tough, but uh, I, I did. I wound up. You're also very sickly, so there is a good reason for that. You're kind of like Lucas. <laughs> I was Lucas. Your helmet I was didn't Lucas. very well in junior high when you played football either. So I was very uh, Lucas esque Lucas like yes. You're Lucasian, right? Yeah. Not George Lucas, I, the uh, Kira, Corey, uh, yeah, uh, what's his name? Yeah, uh, Corey Haim, right? The Corey Haim movie with Winona Ryder from the 80s called Lucas. Yeah, Lucas. I was a scrawny guy. little sickly boy who... Uh, it's like Rudy before Rudy. Yeah, that's that's very good. Yeah, it is Rudy before Rudy. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I... So we're painting a picture here, folks. We're painting, that's what we're ta- that's yes. you're listening to here. Listen yes. to Rudy. Yes, you're listening to. Well, no, I want to be Lucas actually. Yeah, I think you're better, Lucas. Luca yeah. Placia. Luke, Luca, yeah, Luca. Is it Placia or Placia? Luca Placia. I think it's Luca Placia. Yeah. But I remember after that, like going over to your house, and I think we would either watch Bob Ross, The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross, or we would watch like you know Twin Peaks episodes before. See, at this point, I knew that the second season was premiering on September 30th. It was going to be a Sunday night movie, a two-hour um, uh, event or whatever. And we had just started our senior year of high school. So I knew this date was coming. We had, we had been, we got caught up because of uh, the girl that you were dating got us the tapes or whatever. And I remember going with you um, after school one day, and I think it was Hastings Records and Tapes or whatever. We drove there, and we each bought... Um, a uh, cassette of the Twin Peaks soundtrack, and uh, which was great. I thought, it was the D- I thought it was the CD. I don't forget to say. Well, maybe you bought the CD, but I bought the tape because I never owned a CD player until like 1998. So I know I, I bought <laughs> <What>? the tape. <laughs> yeah, right. When did you get a cell phone for the first time? Um, I think it was 05 was the first. And when time did you get a, a high speed uh, wireless internet in your house? About uh, six days ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. Continue. Hey, you know, before you go on, though, talk about what your first impressions were of the series, or you know, talk about that. I mean, oh yeah, of course. Well, I mean, I was I was hooked immediately. Like, I mean, with Blue Velvet, you know, I was already you know kind of a Lynch disciple at like you know fifteen or whatever. But watching that pilot now, like, I had never watched much television and or serialized television at that point. I mean, I think I'd watched old episodes of like Quincy or the Dukes of Hazards when I was like really, really, really Love young. It? But great, 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 uh, great television. Uh, yeah, Dukes of Hazzard. Uh, but Fantasy watching... Island was very Lynchian. Fantasy Island. I think I did catch a few episodes. I remember seeing uh, Roddy McDowell as the devil. I remember that. Yes, made Mr. Rourke was me. very like, much like the one-armed man. He was like a little trickster. <laughs> well, wasn't Tattoo the trickster? The tattoo, and, or... tattoo was like tattoo. a little Mike. Yeah. Whole... Right. Maybe we're onto something here. 
Oh, but I got you sidetracked. You talk, talk about, I think maybe that oh, was, yes. was a surreal twist uh, in, a, in this mainstream show. But back Yeah, let's not spend any your... time on Fantasy Island or whatever. But I was, I was hooked immediately because, um, I mean, I was not very sophisticated. Um, the, I mean, I liked um, different films, but, you know, growing up in the 80s, you know, a different film for me would be like something like Repo Man. I mean, I remember really, really liking Repo Man and, and Paris, Texas. But like you, Murphy, you, uh, you know, thanks to your mother, your mother turned you on to films like Vertigo and Casablanca and the Maltese Falcon when you were like really, really young. And you were like watching Monty Python, weren't you? Like, as like really yeah, young, you were Multi into... Towers, Monty Python, are you being yeah. served? So I think Dr. you had you had better taste than me, or you were more sophisticated, uh, um, a cineast, a cineast, or whatever, than uh, more of a cinephile than me. Uh, but you were into watch- horror movies when I met you. Your your entire bedroom in high school was covered with horror, Fangoria. Uh, yeah, I had subscription to Fangoria, and I think it was that quite grotesque. I think that grew out of my fear. I think the of- first time I met you, actually, you had a Freddy Krueger glove on. <laughs> On the tennis courts. We were on the tennis team together. I did have a Freddy Krueger glove. No, actually, I don't think it was you, but I think it was your buddy. Your buddy showed up dressed as Freddy Krueger. I had the Freddy Krueger, didn't he? I don't remember that. I had a glove. There's a a picture of me with What's the name, Brian? Did you have a friend named Brian? We're not supposed to name drop, remember? Oh, sorry. Well, it was 18,000 Brian, so good thing. That's true. Just like in Twitter. Sorry, I got you off track again. Continue. No, it's okay. Um... Um, oh, I think I was just uh, my impressions of. Oh, you were talking about the horror movies. Um, yeah, no. See, I mean, I was not very sophisticated. I mean, I liked, you know, kind of trash cinema, Police Academy movies, which I still really love, and the Crocodile Dundee sequel, a you know, movie and its sequels. Um, I really don't have great taste other than Twin Peaks, but um, the show when I watched it uh, initially, I mean, like hooks in because it wasn't like a TV show. It really that pilot was like a movie. Um, and um, I just got immediately sucked in, and had never really, you know, seen anything like that. I, I think I could, I could understand some of the, you know, obviously it was a kind of a procedural with the FBI agent Cooper coming into town to, you know, assist lead the investigation into who killed Laura Palmer. But there was all these other little mini subplots, you know, like Nadine, you know, Norma, Big Ed, you know, Bobby and Snake. Um, but it was, it was so it was this tapestry it was this interesting tapestry and it, it had all these different elements there wasn't really uh, any kind of like supernatural elements in the pilot it wasn't as surreal but the feeling you know of, of the show was kind of just off not off-putting but it was just askew it was a little bit different and it was something that really kind of spoke to me now when I watched when I when it came to the the, the third episode where Cooper has his dream and you know he you know he flashes forward like 25 years or, or we flash forward 25 years and we're introduced to the red room and the man from another place and Laura's there. I mean, that was like mind blowing. And I think, I mean, didn't your dad, like your dad and your, your stepmother were watching the show actively like into the show. But when that scene came on, didn't they like, as soon as it ended, your dad was like, all right, that's it. No more for me. Like, like yeah, he's out. a very conservative banker. So it was, he actually, and my stepmother watched the pilot in the first, in the second episode, uh, before I even had heard of it, but when it got to the third episode, and I think, uh, he even <laughs> mentioned when Cooper started using his telepathic, uh, intuition to throw rocks at, and to, in order to find suspects that, that scene too, with the oven mitts and all that jazz <laughs> really turned him off. But, uh, that's actually what got me, uh, really excited. Cause I thought that was, you know, something I had never obviously before seen uh, on television and it was just so sexy and cool. And I started smoking cigarettes because of that 
this show and patterned my life after Bobby Briggs, but I wanted to have the heart and soul of Agent Cooper, who was like our guide, um, who was so wonderful and engaging, but uh, he was also um, allowed us to feel comfort in this bizarre world that we were venturing into. Um, so, but that scene, the third episode, when we see the main, when he has his dream, that hooked me for sure. Yeah, that was a that was a, a seminal moment for me. Additionally, um, how many million people saw the third episode? You talked in a past podcast about what the viewership was. Well, I know that the pilot drew, I believe, thirty four million people, and then the next episode it went down to twenty one, and then it kind of hovered around like you know eighteen nineteen. Um, for you know the next few episodes, and then I think the, the the season finale, I think it ticked back up over twenty million. So I think it lost it like you know a couple million after um, the third episode, but it, it wasn't like a nosedive um, because it was the buzz was so incredible. Now it wasn't the, the buzz w- wasn't in our high school. I think we, you and no I, one in our high school yeah. at all. It was all right. off the radar completely among our friends. Set even though you know we were living in. You know, not a, a an urban town or an urban area where I'm sure a lot more people had, were probably into it immediately. But we were slow to the take. And, but yet we were the first ones in our school uh, that were into it. So we ended up starting our Twin Peaks cult um, and getting early. Yeah, I mean, right up to starting it, yeah. our senior year, um, we did. I would go to like once I was actively into the show. Then I was like going to you know the bookstore, the grocery store, the magazine sections, and it was just it was everywhere. I mean, Entertainment Weekly, and Lynch was on the cover of Time because I believe Wild at Heart was um, premiered um, that August, right before we start, right around the time that we started our senior year. And it was the like Lynch was like everywhere. Twin Peaks was everywhere. So I was just that's what people don't understand now is that there are such few uh, media channels that like everyone in the world knew about David Lynch and Twin Peaks. He was on the cover of Time magazine. You could go down to the local like uh, quick pantry and the, <laughs> the, the, the check the that David Lynch. He's crazy. Right. Ain't he crazy, y'all? Like I mean, it, 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 he really uh, you know. It was a four quadrant uh, penetration of the uh, our our mind uh, share in the United States at that time, which I don't think anybody could get to anymore, other than maybe Trump or you know someone who's got uh, a Q Q quotient of like a hundred. Right. It really was. I mean, I mean, outside but outside of the school, because like you said, or we just discussed, no yeah, one. Yeah, but yet no one at our school. No at one. All. I mean, no one. We didn't know except other than, for the by the girl, yes. my ex girlfriend. We didn't last long, but except right. for her. And uh, so uh, another thing about just talking the impressions of the first season for me, um, a, a big thing was you talked about you know Bobby and you know being influenced and starting to smoke cigarettes and everything. For me, Audrey Horn, Sherilyn Fenn, that was for me. That's like at that age, that was like like perfection. Like as as a woman, this she was. I think Lynch described her at one point. There's this famous quote or whatever that. She was like uh, five, five feet of uh, like a ponytail and five feet of like heaven. That was something that's quote very similar to that or whatever. <laughs> a perfect like Lynch that's quote. Perfect, yeah. She would really yeah. was for me. It was like the hormones just went crazy. I, you know, Sherilyn Finn because I believe um, this movie called Two Moon Junction came out. I believe it was maybe a year or two before I, I and I, I had seen it. And she's the lead in this movie. And, she actually has blonde hair in the film, and it, it's one of these like Zalman King, like who went on to produce the Red Shoe Diaries. It's this kind of little tawdry Soft tale. Softcore, softcore. But you know, she was 
in various states of undress in that and to the well, she was also boy. in wild at heart she had a great scene in wild she at heart did well, she did year. but seeing her i mean and and her character in the first she also season, posed nude for playboy at that exact same time which we all bought copies of we did yes cherished. we did yes but that her um her beauty just her exterior but more so the character that she portrayed audrey horn was like unlike anything really i'd ever seen you know, she was like the original television. like manic pixie dream girl without the mania. Yeah, that's very just a apt. Dream girl. That's just a pixie dream girl. She was, she was the dream girl. So, and I liked Donna, and I liked when Maddie was introduced, and, and I liked Shelly. Shelly, I loved all of the tweaks, Twin Peaks. Ladies. Yeah, that Rolling Stone cover. Remember, even Grace Zabriskie. <laughs> I've always liked Grace Zabriskie. She's yeah. fantastic. She's a great actress, but um, I love her. So, I mean, I just watching that first season, I just thought it was really the greatest thing that I'd, I had ever seen. And I didn't, I mean, I understood it. it wasn't because there wasn't a lot of supernatural or, you know, overtones. It wasn't, you know, really surreal other than that, you know, one scene in, in the red room. It was just so tight and the characters were, were so rich and the setting and the mystery. It was just perfect and the music, storm. And the, the oh. music was, I remember. Totally the first, great. my first uh, exposure to any Twin Peaks was uh, uh, on a Saturday night with my, another girlfriend at the time, um, and hearing that at like midnight or one o'clock in the morning when they were playing, going, "What is that song?" and and hearing, and they, I think they obviously mixed it into some, you know, it was a more upbeat uh, tempo. But actually, no, I think it was actually the original one. But that was it. Falling music. was it the theme song? Yeah, that was like I what remember is you song? telling me that. Yeah, the, the dong yeah. dong like that. Really, it's it sounds a lot of people think it's really old fashioned now, and it's very you know it's soapy or melodramatic and not not in tune maybe with the new uh, tone of the sh- the new series. But uh, I still love that song, and that that's what was my first exposure. The music was just phenomenal. Well, all of it. The music. I, I totally agree with you on the music, and and for me. The um, the one thing, in addition to you know just Lynch and Frost working you know together and creating this really unique event, the um, the the atmosphere, obviously the the ambiance or whatever. But it was you couldn't really obviously this was a contemporary setting, but it didn't feel like you know 1990. It felt like of a different time. Um, and that I think that was I think that's one of the reasons why it's endured so long is that you can watch the the episodes now and it doesn't feel dated at all because it felt like this weird kind of combination of the 1950s and the late 1980s something that he uh, Lynch did in Blue Velvet I think very successfully as well like watching that again he loves the 50s he loves the 50s but I think putting like these stories these kind of dream stories or whatever and he fetishizes the 50s. He does, yeah. So that was another thing is I had never seen before. Is like usually, you know, like something like American Graffiti. You know, it was it you know it was it came out in the early seventies, but it took place in the fifties. It's these well defined places and, and 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 settings and characters. But this had this kind of displaced, kind of dreamlike, you know, um, atmosphere. It wasn't really logical in a lot of ways. Why, you know, that these bikers in the late 1980s in the Pacific Northwest, or you know, James Hurley is channeling his inner James Dean, and all these. But you just go with it because it's so fresh and it was so new and it was so unlike anything that I'd ever seen before. So that was another this confluence of you know artistic flourishes that really um, like just really kind of spoke to me or just kind of overwhelmed me, and I really really became obsessed with the show 
um, once I saw it and over the summer. And it, that leads into the, the second season. Do you, did you want to talk a little bit more about your impressions? Uh, well, I mean, we... just the whole thing about the time that, when it came out. We were living in like a cultural void of the late 80s, early 90s. I think like uh, MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice <laughs> were all the rage. Everyone had like frosted hair and wore acid wash <laughs> jeans. And, like it was just a bad time. There wasn't a lot of good music, a lot of good art. That was so. Uh, he came and gave us this world that I wanted to live in. I wanted to live in the Twin Peaks world. I didn't want to live in where we were living um, around these geeks. Um, so yeah, I think that was the other thing is that it really was an escape. And uh, the 50s, uh, I guess a lot of people in the around that time, the 50s was maybe, I guess the 80s was more, you know, people were looking back on the 50s. But um, yeah. Yeah, was, with Reagan, was, especially in the White House, right? Yeah, it's still, mean, in that, so he's still doing it now, even though no one's really into the 50s anymore. And a lot of people don't like the 50s because of all the political you know, conformity and all that stuff that, that he's, he's still into, you know, we still see elements of that in the new series. Yeah, we do. Um, with our upbringing or, you know, where we were geographically at that point, for me, the way that I've always described it is that town was like, you know, the classic, you know, definition of like suburbia. It just, it was, it was, it was suburbia. It was, you know, it wasn't too small. It wasn't too big. I mean, it was suburbia. Now it, it didn't mirror Twin Peaks in that way, but you, you could see, you could see certain like icon, uh, like not icons, but certain elements, especially with blue velvet, you know, like picket fences. We didn't, it wasn't like that overt, but for me, like, um, I grew up in a, I, I was, I, I grew up in a very big city. Like, you know, um, I'll just say it. I, I grew up in Chicago. Um, and so, and like, downtown. So I, as a young boy, just growing up, my first real memories of this big, big, big town, um, huge Chicago, you know, the, the, you know, just a huge, huge town. And then moving to really the definition of, like, suburbia was just this huge, like, you know, uh, clash. It was, it was like, it took me a while to kind of find my footing or whatever because I never really experienced that. Um, and I... I, I, I I think I withdrew a little bit into like film and and whatnot. And you're like Ralph Macchio uh, in the Karate Kid, except for instead of learning karate, you just started watching Twin Peaks. Obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is our little Reseda, right? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah you're, that's, a, that's a very uh, good point. But <laughs> so that was another uh, another thing for me, at least on a, on a personal level. Um, so in a way, you were like uh, you know a geek in that uh, you went from geek to chic because uh, of your Twin Peaks uh, love and spreading the word the word around our high school that it, you became like this uh, Pied Piper of David Lynch. And uh, it helped your uh, social status. That is absolutely true. I mean, I, I don't, you know, if it wasn't for Twin Peaks and David Lynch, I mean, I don't think I would have had, you know, any success in high school <laughs> with uh, uh, any women or, um, you know, conversations or any kind of status or whatever. I, like I said, I became literally like obsessed with it. So, like, you know, if any conversation came up, I would just you know, just redirect to Twin Peaks. Or yeah, everything was redirected to Twin Peaks. Everything so we would end up getting, like, a whole group of people and introducing because we had, you know, different classes with all kinds of different kids from different cliques or whatever. And so I would basically just talk with everyone about Twin Peaks all the time. And so I would, we ended up forming this army, this Twin Peaks army of, like, just people, a crosscut of every, every status uh, clique in the whole school. But the ones that were into Twin Peaks would uh, chant across, like, the rectory, Bob Chants. And uh, we started really getting into into Bob, and not that we <laughs> yeah, like to, really into worship Bob. the devil, but we he was I mean he I had never seen anything like I was not into horror, and did not like Jason or Freddy or any of those stupid eighties like uh, 
you know, killer guys. But that killer Bob, he was uh, real and very frightening. And I think, didn't he terrify? He terrified your, who did he terrify? We watched that episode and someone had a conniption fit. Or several people yeah, it was, it was my girlfriend. So we were at my house. So the second season premiered on uh, September 30th. And I was at my girlfriend's house and uh, it was, I think it aired from like eight to 10 or whatever. And uh, I remember being in her room and just like, you know, into it like immediately. And of course we had this 15 minute scene of Senior Jewel Cup and Agent Cooper, this long drawn out scene, but I was I was totally with it. I mean, in retrospect, it, well not in retrospect, but it's my favorite episode. I love that episode it more than any other episode. Well. But I was like so um, enthralled and into it. And I remember my girlfriend, when she, we were like in bed and she was doing her like algebra homework or whatever. And she would like, you know, be looking up. She just wasn't into it. And I was just like, you know, totally into it. And, uh, but I would, I would try to get her into it and she wound up getting into it and not doing her homework or whatever. But I wasn't even interested in sex at that point. I just wanted to like be in the Twin Peaks world and talk about Twin Peaks. So that next week, the second episode, which Lynch directed, it moved to Saturday nights. So being seniors in high school, Saturday night is obviously a very big night socially. Um, so Mur what Murphy and I would do is we would actually like, if we were going out, we would record the tapes. And then once we came back, you know, from going out, we would watch, you know, that episode or whatever. But on that night, we were at my house. My, my mother must have been out um, because I remember I was uh, babysitting my little brother and um, my girlfriend was over at the time. And that's the scene at the end of that episode where James and Maddie and Donna are singing the uh, classic Just You and I. And right afterwards, Maddie has that vision of Bob crawling over the couch and his face just really, really literally goes right into the camera and she freaks out. Well, my girlfriend freaked the fuck out. She like lost it. She she actually just went screaming out of the, we were in the living room, went screaming. <laughs> was I there? I don't think you were there. No, I think there was an, I think there was another moment where, another Bob moment. Yeah, I recall being at something where some people were going crazy. So I can't remember. Yeah, exactly. but I think it was just. Her and I that scene though changed my life, and I think it that was the one. I that was that the one. Yeah, was that. the one that really cemented the terror of what this guy could be, and that's going. Who is this person? Is this person human? Did they really catch a demon and capture him on film? Because he just seemed so otherworldly, and uh, you know, like he was going to come get us. He was our boogeyman. Yeah, those first scenes. And those, also our hero. He was. I mean, Bob became. Well, Murphy created. I, I, you should tell this part or whatever, but Murphy created this kind of, Murphy's a very creative person and has one of the most unique personalities I've ever encountered. And he wow. created this um, Bob speak and this, this little, it's not a motto. It's not a slogan, but why don't you go ahead and tell that, that story because we're into No, I think right that now. the neep schneid, which you may have noticed, we kind of do some neep schneid sound effects, which is just a ridiculous uh, call to the sound design on a lot of the, we all know what that is, that Lynchian sound, bizarro sound design. So we start saying we're having neep schneid moments, which are moments in the show where we would see here, see something insane happen, and then we'd hear the sound design, neep, neep schneid. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, people started just using Neep Schneid, and we, people started writing Bob on chalkboards and on people's cars, and Bob <laughs> became like this, like, uh, you know, Banksy-type thing going on, where people were writing Bob everywhere. And so it became like a, 
our little small um, our our contribution to the cultural. It was a, it was a cult school. of Bob, wasn't it? Yeah. It really it was. was that was Bob. the one thing you know. They got to take it to the extreme. They can't just be the cult of Dale Cooper or the cult of Audrey worshippers. They've got to be the cult of Bob, which we probably promoted. Let's face it, but. Uh, you know, I think it was also a sign of anarchy, and, uh, you know, we wanted Bob to, you know, that was really what it was, and Bob was such a perfect, didn't you have a bumper sticker, a Bob bumper sticker? You what I did was, point? this is, I, I have, I'm not inclined in any shape, way, or form of being creative with, like, you know, uh, building stuff, or, you know, a painting, or sculpting, or putting things together, I'm a, an abject failure at that, but I wanted to have a Bob bumper sticker. Um, on my car so like the way you know my 18 year old brain thought it's like okay I worked at a, at a law office and what I did was I um, had access to computers and and printers so I went on this computer and I just typed like Bob like B-O-B like over and over again in, in small type and then this huge B-O-B with the B and the B the little B's making the, the big B and the little O's making and I uh, printed them out and I cut them out and then I put tape on the back of them <laughs> and I put it like tape, on that's the it, rear. Just tape? tape, yeah, tape <laughs> on the back of like my bumper stick on my, on my bumper as a bumper stick or whatever and I just remember looking and going oh that's cool man that's really cool and like you know six we minutes later swag before swag existed right about six minutes I, I actually you know I I really, really think this happened. Um, of course, you know, memories, you know, tend to, you know, wander as you age or whatever. But I really believe that when I did this type of memory, a very vivid memory of putting it on there and and admiring it and it starting to rain and like it like coming off, it didn't like peel off or whatever. <laughs> it just, it, can't, it was like, and that was it. I never like try to put it back on. That's a, the like, White Lodge has spoken. Right? You should have that on your red car. So yeah, it's more cult of Bob. We really, I mean, we were, we were into the show. Um, but well, so we ended up taking it to the streets eventually in the second season when we started getting into it, and it was on live every Saturday night. Then we would go out and we would end up getting, you know, have end up having house parties at different people's houses, and it would just be a giant party around the watching of the Twin Peaks episodes, which were great for a while, but as we all know, halfway through the season, uh, they started to become less entertaining, so that didn't last even throughout the season. And we ended up watching the last episode of the second season in our at our own domicile we were all we all had coffee and i think we had maybe not pie but we had several people over and watched the ending um, which was another terrifying uh, moment on par with not only about terrifying but uh, you know equal to the, the the bob over the couch moment yeah we watched that at my house and i think it was uh you and me and two other friends and my mother and my stepfather and my mom oh my god that's right purposely um, <laughs> they were not getting along very well. They were, they were about to divorce, which they did. <laughs> they did and so yeah. they were in a, a tailspin. And so continue this story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my, my stepfather, uh, I worked for my stepfather. My stepfather uh, was an attorney, still is an attorney. And he is the father of my younger brother. But um, he is from a very uh, small southern town and is just a true southern um like he's racist. I mean, he's just. I mean, he's he's he not your typical of... Twin Peaks fan. So no, he's not. That he he has... was in. So that that tells you that this guy uh, was in front of the uh, on his Barca lounger on the to watch the last episode of Twin Peaks, which we all know. Yeah, it's a very interesting, insane. Yeah, a brief anecdote on on him is that um, when I was living, when he was living in the same house, we were living in the same house. Obviously, he was married to my mother or whatever. Um, I had 
a setup in my room of I had cable and I had a VCR and then there was a TV and a VCR in the living room and I was always taping stuff and so what I would do is I would set my TV and record stuff and then I would set the TV in the living room to record stuff but sometimes um, he would get up in the middle of the night and he would go into the living room and like start watching TV and not knowing that I was taping stuff and I wouldn't know it until like I checked the tape that you know whatever that next day <laughs> oh, and this happened more often than not is like what I would see him on the, the my recording was what he wanted to watch and you would see him like channel serve and then what what like kind of like got his attention you know and that he would stay on it it was it really like a, a psychological profile on oh yeah it was all action movies like Chuck Norris and you know Van Damme and Seagal or you know just cheap action movies. So how did he? And how did he? Softcore pornography. Watch, how did he end up watching the entire episode, uh, final episode of Twin Peaks? How did he sit through it without? I don't know. I remember it was a, it was it aired on a Monday night and uh, you know June tenth, nineteen ninety one, and we had just graduated high school. Um, I don't know the circumstances why he would even because he was that he wasn't that guy he would he would not endure something like that but maybe you know he wanted to appease my mother in some way because she she's very maternal and she loved having us kids over and she made us all coffee and I know I was smoking at that time and this is a time where you know they were all smokers we all were smoking in the house this is a time when people actually smoked in the house or whatever so maybe he felt compelled to try to be like some kind of like you know trooper or whatever like okay I'm going to you know indulge these kids or whatever but what happened was and i don't remember what set it off or whatever but he is such a like just a, an oaf um something must have had he must have said something or done something or whatever but my mom deliberately spilled hot coffee all over his like you know lap, <laughs> right in his lap right in his lap <laughs> do you um, remember what scene it was when she did it no i, I don't i don't all i remember is hearing him go mama because he called your your his wife mama just like uh, right. vice president mike pence he goes, Mama, <laughs> Mama. And then he goes, Baby. And he was freaking out. He was like, Coffee? The coffee? Co- yeah, the co- just- oh, God. This is a flaming hot lap full of steaming hot Joe. It would have which, been interesting if she had done it. Which was actually it. very entertaining. I thought that was a It was, the, right. Conclusion. I mean, it would have been interesting. I don't know the timing of it. Uh, that there's that scene in that uh, the final episode where the uh, senior drool cup brings coffee to Agent Cooper in the Black Lodge. And he just says coffee over and over again, like in reverse. It's like coffee, 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 like over and over again. Um, <laughs> like 12 been, times? Like 12 times. It would have been great if it was – but I don't remember. I would love to have had just I, the camera like on Ron's reactions throughout the entire episode, <laughs> like what his facial expression – it probably was just a blank, never changed at all, except when the flaming hot cup of coffee got, got right, up his right. You know what? Actually, I don't think – I think after the coffee incident, I think he got up and left. I think I think it happened in the first time. He was probably making some like rude comments or something or ruining it for she probably us. was trying to get rid of them yeah right that's probably true so um so yeah so we um well we're at the final episode but a, a couple things like the big thing is that um leading up to like the first half that we knew at some point that um they were gonna solve the murder of laura palmer because it was even advertised i remember reading yes i remember that like find we out on no- i don't think we like that did we like that well, no, I, I remember being into it. Yeah, I think we I did was, have a conspiracy theory chart. Didn't we have a chart? Yeah, yeah, like who was suspects? The killer. Yeah, did we get right? We was it Leland was in our top five or, or suspect? We thought it was Ben Horn or Leland maybe or Doctor Jacoby. Did we have a top three? Uh, well, and then Bob. Killers? We didn't know Bob was this like parasite, you know, like supernatural being or whatever. Like we didn't know that. So Bob was on high on my list, but 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, Bob did it. I'm sure Bob was high on all of our lists, Tom. I well, think who well. never know Except with Lance? Like, right. That's true, right? We did, but I remember getting it wrong. I never. I remember being completely stunned when it happened and captivated, and uh, just could could not believe it. That was in Stephen King. What said it was the most horrifying thing he'd ever seen on television, uh, and it was. It was uh, the way he shot that um, was very uh, carnal and brutal and and just fucking terrifying for a kid like me. I had never seen anything like that before. Yeah, the, the, that scene in particular. Like the way awesome. that he, you know, you know, revealed that it was, you know, Bob with the mirror and then Bob's um, image like superimposed over Leland going like, I, 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 which totally freaked me out or whatever. But when he goes to kill Maddie, what Lynch would do is he would cut back and forth between like Leland and Bob. And then when it cut to Bob, he would use that spotlight. You know, of course, yeah. there's no spotlight in the room. It's just this doing a directorial like flourish or whatever just added to the you know the the unrealness of of that scene and the brutality the screams and i think he played with the sound design he would like lower it where she's screaming it's it's just unnatural i had never like seen anything like that even like in a movie and i'd seen like a lot of like horror movies but nothing like scared the shit out of me and freaked me out like that scene but a part of me was still grasping with the fact it's leland because Knowing it's Leland, you know, it's like, oh my God, Leland, he's he, he, he that he was like raping his daughter, so it's incest. So I'm, I'm in the moment, I'm trying to grapple with all this, but I'm seeing this horrific, you know, uh, you know, the savage beating on poor, you know, Cheryl Lee as Madeline Ferguson. Poor Cheryl Lee again, once again. She's, yeah, it, she's got to be tortured. Uh, she's never had a normal moment. Well, didn't Lynch actually? They were so secretive. Didn't they actually film that three times? They they filmed it once with Leland. They filmed it once with Bob, and I believe they filmed it once with Ben Horn. With Ben Horn, that's right. Which would, would be weird that uh, he would be killing her in the the Palmer household. Yeah, did they do it in the Palmer household, or did they set that up? Why would in he the kill Great Maddie? Northern? You know, that would he doesn't even doesn't even know Maddie exists. Right. Point. There's been there's been no scene. But they've had like a cut in scene, together. like an insert where he like saw Maddie at the double R or something. And right. how would he even you know? Right. Just going to show up. Right. But that was like that was the uh, the peak uh, moment of our like cult or Twin Peaks cult in high school because we really did Murphy and I uh, cultivated this this group this gathering of people that would get together on the weekends and and watch the show. Sacrifice babies. It, it, I, I believe. Peaks. There was a Some whole bunch of alls. Well, didn't that, if memory serves, Just a regular Saturday night? <laughs> didn't we? Uh, when it, we knew that episode, we knew it was going to be the reveal. Like we didn't want to be with anyone else. So no, we, we had to wa- stop the party. I think we went up to our friend uh, Michael. We can say his name, Michael's yeah. house, and we yes. watched it up there with just a select few of us. Right. Was there a it party was- going on downstairs at his house? It wasn't that night, was it? No, I don't think it was that night, yeah, but so there was a big there. party that night that we um, we decided not to go to, or I think we might have gone later or whatever. It was I remember it was like a really big, big party, but we were like, no, and we um, we were just okay. This is like a special invite only. We really only invited like the true like hardcore fan, and I think it was only like 
three or four people, right? So I'm saying it was many. just like <laughs> the <laughs> hardcore fans was just us and our friend Michael. And it, was <laughs> anybody else there? <laughs> well, maybe no. I think you're right. I think it was just the three just of the us three actually. Of us. <laughs> <laughs> but it was but, a big cult. We just didn't want to really hang out with the other people, like in real life. Like we were, we were great that we had spread the, the Twin Peaks love. We knew they were at their house, you know, watching Twin Peaks as well. But we didn't want to, you know, get all the Twin Peaks fans together. We would just, uh, you know. We were like uh, Christians in uh, you know the jungles of the 1600s or something, going around trying to like spread the gospel. So missionaries, Twin Peaks missionaries. Yeah, Twin Peaks. Well, you at that point, women, we didn't, didn't you have a didn't you at some point at a party let these very born again Christian women you you talk them into dedicating their soul to David Lynch? Well, yeah, that gets into the fire walk with me. Yeah. Uh, oh, that was fire walk with me. Well, yeah. we need to keep we need to get moving because we're getting right. a little bogged down. So maybe we sure. get to fire walk with me at some point. Okay, well, we could um, talk about how crushed we were when the series was canceled. And how it was just a nightmare. Like, that was another thing that we... Well, it was. I mean, over. it was just so... The way that the show kind of unraveled after that, after they really, you know, uh, after the reveal of Leland as the killer and then the actual, like, ending of the investigation where Leland dies. And, you know, then that next episode, it's the wake of Leland. And then we've got to start anew. And, you know, we still have, I believe, there was still, like, 13 or whatever episodes left. And... You know, we were still like, you know, disciples. We loved it, you know, and we would still get people together and watch it. But it just, the, it just fell off creatively. It just wasn't as engaging. It wasn't as interesting. Um, it was meandering. You could tell that they were trying to find their footing with new plot threads or whatever. And it was very disappointing and depressing. But even at that, you know, even with that said, there was still always something within each individual episode that kind of kept us like, okay, you know, that all right, we got something or whatever. It wasn't like just horrible, but I just remember being like slowly getting a little bit depressed and then realizing that the ratings were tanking. Well, they canceled the talk, it for a while, then they came back. They took it off the air. They took it off the air. And then it was on this long hiatus, and then they moved it back from, or they moved it from Saturday back to, I think, Thursday night or whatever. And but it's it was getting killed by the the juggernaut on NBC like you know Cheers and the Cosby Show or whatever Family Ties all that stuff I don't know if this is still on Night Court whatever that big juggernaut was at that point um, L A Law I think people started having L A Law watching parties thirty something watching parties that those Wonder are, Years watching right. parties <laughs> Twin Peaks. Doogie Howser MD watching parties <laughs> <laughs> wasn't it amazing though that the, the rise the meteoric rise of Twin Peaks the buzz and then I mean it flamed out like almost literally overnight. I mean, it wasn't overnight, but it, it flamed out where it became like nothing. And like people turned what on What was the it. exact moment that it flamed out, that it jumped the shark? Do you, can you identify that? Was it Nadine tossing, you know, um, athletes during wrestling or Nadine in high school, that little stuff? I mean, I don't know if there's one little moment. There was so Well, many- it had to be early, like kind of mid-season, like right after the big uh, reveal, like something happened. You know, I think it might be when like Cooper ends up taking off the uniform and like going to buy the house and wearing flannel, like that's when I was like, that something's gone wrong. Like that was, I think that was pretty early or in the mid season, right? When that happened. No, it was him in the flannel shirt, right? And he's, yeah, you he know, like being investigated. It just, job. yeah, it just was not as interesting. But we still, like, you know, we soldiered on. We were still like into it, but we, we, we even, there. I think we were in denial for a little bit. But um, it, it, it really, it came back to us at the very end, though, that final episode. But at that point, we knew it was over. But I remember, um, so that was, we had graduated too, right around that time. But I remember we had just started college and um, I used to get the USA Today and it was, I believe it was like the like the first week or something of, of college, freshman year of college or whatever. And there was this little blurb 
and it said Twin Peaks movie, like, you know, in production. And I think it said, like, Fire Walk With Me. And it had, like, you know, David Bowie's going to be in it or whatever. I was like, you know, like the heavens, like, oh. It was like, are you, <laughs> wow. I mean, okay, all right, we're going to get this continuation, Cooper and Bob and all. So then from that point forward, I think it was almost a year before it premiered. I, it was like a daily thing for me. I was just, like, obsessed. I mean, I, I didn't even, college, I was, you know, it was an extension of high school. I was, you know, an abject failure in many, many uh, capacities or whatever. So, you so got much a PhD so, in Twin Peaksology. I did. I actually, I took a speech in class. In Lynchian Studies. Do you remember that? Did we have a speech class together in college? Uh, I had a speech class. I think you didn't last through the speech class, but I think you started one with me. Well, no. Um, I <laughs> made it at least as far as giving a presentation. I know I well, did Well, no, you that. had to give like 18 presentations. I think you gave one. That was it. Yeah, and do you know what the presentation was over? Was it over David Lynch? It was over Twin Peaks. Oh, that's fantastic. What, so I think that, what, what, I think what was I your thesis poor, statement? I remember opening up with something about like in a town of like 51,201 people. Dot, and then it just evolved from there or whatever. Because I would never um, do the like the work. I wouldn't have like, no, I would just wing it. I'd go like, I was the type studied. of guy that would go like, <laughs> it's like Ghostbusters, right? I am Dr. Venkman. You know, I, I have a PhD, but I never studied or whatever. Um, that was it. So I, I, I would just wing it and improv it. And I think my teacher would know. I think I got a very poor grade on it. And then I would quit. And I quit. I always quit. Take my, take my but ball back and go to home. Fire Walk with me. Oh, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm working out some personal issues, Murphy. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm getting this. You have off. a chip on your shoulder. Yeah, it's a huge chip, my friend. Huge. Um, yeah. So Fire Walk with me. So we knew that the movie was coming out, and. Uh, but, you know, of course, no internet. You know, I would get, like, little bits and pieces here in, like, TV Guide or Variety. I had a subscription to Daily Variety at that point or whatever. But the next real big moment um, for Fire Walk with me, for me and Murphy, was the Cannes premiere. It premiered at the 1992 Cannes Film Festival. And that, it's, like, legendary in Twin Peaks lore, David Lynch lore, is that it was uh, universally, like, panned and booed. It was, like... He just could do nothing right. It was just, it was like he was like kicked off the stage. It was just, I read all these reviews, and there's this famous review of saying, like, you know, Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me is not the worst movie ever made. It just feels like it. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Which was, I don't know, Vincent Canby or someone like that said that. Um, but so I was like, okay, we still had three months to it, you know, showed up in theaters or whatever, but, you know, it's obviously not a good sign or whatever. But, um, we were still rocking. We were still hopeful. It was like, what do they know? Critics, what do they? They know nothing or whatever. So that summer, I had this apartment, and you know, I we'd just be parties like all the time. And we met this, you know, you know these group of girls, this group of girls or whatever. And uh, they would come over, and I, my walls in my apartment, we had painted like you know our wall, my walls like black, and it was really abstract art, and it had just. Twin Peaks stuff. I had an Eraserhead poster and a Fire Walk with Me, like little ads, like I ripped out of Premiere magazine and stuff like that. And I actually, and I had a video camera because I actually took some uh, courses at the the college I went to. Those are the only courses that I would actually complete because I didn't care about anything else. And I would just bring the camera out and I would just, you know, be like, it's like, you know, like a Playboy After Dark, you know, club, like Hef or whatever. And I would just have my camera and I, and I would That's just... That's what you thought you were. You were just really a creepy guy. Well, of camera. course. Yeah, I was a creepy little, like, young hormonal freak, lynch freak or whatever. But I had a shtick. It was the lynch stick. And I would, you know, um, basically, like, kind of do my shtick and schmoozing with, his girls, with these girls or whatever. And uh, 
it, it basically evolved into this kind of like like Lynch kind of cult like mantra where I would get them to recite these Lynch incantations or whatever. It was all riffing stuff, and it was really just to get laid or whatever, which I never did. But um, it was it was very interesting, and I had it all on tape. I don't think I do have it on tape anymore. I think I taped over it accidentally or whatever. But that summer was like just firewalk with me and developing a new cult, like um, a new – because we were out of high school or whatever, a new cult of like you know disciples. And it led up to August 28, 1992. It was a Friday, and I, I don't think I went to sleep that – I was so, so excited – and it was, it, was, it was you and me. I have no memory of it at all. Tell me what happened. It was you, me. Uh, we could say first names or no. Should we say first names? Yeah, yeah. Right. Sandra was there and uh, and Jason. Hmm. Where do we see it? We went to the – well, I don't want to – I can't – Oh, that's right. Don't tell me. Yeah. Well, was, you know, I, remember, uh, I remember being slightly disappointed in Twin Peaks. I thought it was a good movie. I liked the movie, but I didn't – I thought it was some parts of it were a little bit much and uh, – you know, I think you were in denial about it. You loved it. You refused to say a bad word about it. I remember Jason, our partner, our buddy that was with us, he hated it immediately and told you you're an idiot and started mocking it. And the Neep Schneid became a derogatory, like, uh, refrain for a while. And so that's really kind of how it ended for us was that we were almost, like, left, uh, you know, feeling deflated and sad. And, like, basically we felt like we got booed off the stage at Cannes at the end there. And now to have it come back 26 years later, it's like a, a, it's like a godsend. And I think it's a, a miracle that it's happened. And it's also a miracle that Showtime has allowed David Lynch to fulfill his uh, artistic vision and not try to cut it and dilute it and screw it up. So that is our motivation for, for starting this podcast. We couldn't let this moment in time go by without um, at least contributing to the conversation because we feel like... Uh, We've grown up with Twin Peaks and David Lynch. He's our Uncle David. He's uh, he's my number one icon in terms of all uh, all art. And uh, I live a mile away from him and I always want to knock on his door, but I don't. <laughs> but we talk about it. We talk about it. Bob anyway, that's why we whatever. love the show and that's why we're doing this podcast. Yeah, uh, real quick on Firewalk With Me, I want to just kind of summarize that because um, you make a good point because it really was like, like a, a defeat – um, I, I think I was in some form of denial, but I remember that opening day we had we had gone to see the the first showing. So it was like some kind it was like noon, you know, bright. I remember it was a bright sunny. It was the end of summer, so it was very hot and uh, it was very bright out. And and you're exactly right. Everyone like hated it, but I was in denial. But I remember forcing you. I don't know if you remember this, and I think it was just you. I forced you to go see it again that night. We saw it twice in one night. Do you yeah, I think that? that's what I think that's the, was the that started to sour me. I was like, I don't, I don't think I want to watch it again so quickly, but I did, and but I don't remember that. But I remember like it being like seeing that you and I, my passion for it was no longer the same level as yours was. You were continuing on the fanaticism, and I wasn't. And then a few months or whatever that was later, a hotel room pot comes around. <laughs> And hotel room just sealed the deal for me in terms of it being like Lynch was, it was dead. It was over. The party was over and I don't know what happened or where it all went wrong. But uh, I remember watching hotel room being even more distraught and just basically closing up. And, you know, David Lynch, Twin Peaks, uh, people would, it was the derog, people kind of mocked it. It wasn't, uh, you know, it's considered a bunch of weird, weird tripe uh, in the end. For years, for several years, years, right? Decades, yeah, for, until it, until Mulholland Drive came, or Lost Highway was fantastic, was, you know, that he came back. Yeah, well, he came back, but that's still, I mean, it was, that was not like this critical darling edgy, that yeah. Mulholland Drive was and certainly didn't do any business at the box office. 
Do you but I felt he was back at that point. I, lo- I don't think I even loved Lost Highway, but I, I, I loved, I lo- I thought it was flawed, but I loved it. And, uh, my, my Lynch, uh, membership fan club, I renewed it immediately when that came back. Do you remember? I let it lapse for a while. Actually, I don't think it really lapsed, but I just, there was nothing else to see. And you and I, we got tapes and we watched the old episodes and we watched, I mean, the thing was the music is what persisted over everything was that no matter what we like my life, you know, my, my teens and twenties were, you know, a Lynch soundtrack was behind a lot of it. Even when I wasn't watching the show, it was with me. Yeah, it was, we all, the, the Blue Velvet, Twin Peaks, Firewalk With Me, and then the um, Lost Highway soundtrack. Um, those were like heavy rotation. I was listening, you know, at various points. That was like really all I was listening. The music, those those soundtracks are some of the best soundtracks ever. In well, my I have opinion. moments in my life that I can harken back to just listening to songs. The Julie Cruz uh, album, the Cruz oh, original, the Firewalk with Me. Yeah. That like I have moments in time that are connected to real life. That because of those songs, they were going at the time, and they uh, they're our, our anthems, I suppose. Do you remember? In college, like right at, and that wasn't right after, but maybe like, you know, a year after, within a year after Firewalk with Me premiered, I was taking a documentary film class at, uh, at for college. I think it was the second year, the sophomore year, but I was I was still technically a freshman because I didn't really complete any classes, and uh, the the assignment was to just have to just shoot something that was like you know real. I had to have this documentary vibe to it. But I staged something, and I want, what I wanted to do was stage, um, like my friends watching the episode of um, Twin Peaks, where you know the Leland was revealed to be the killer. And do you remember? Like, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. We had the donuts, and uh, yeah, and we had remember that shrine? Up. I had yeah. like all of yeah. my memorabilia and articles. <laughs> I put it up, and I did the slow pan or whatever, and uh, some nonsensical dialogue or whatever, and. Uh, it was just almost like a, uh, like you know, like a funeral, like kind of a, uh, you know, like a, a wake. Exactly. Thank you. And I remember when I showed it to my teacher, like it was only, it was very short. It was only like you know a minute long or whatever. But we watched it. And everyone was huddled around, and they're like, "What the fuck is this?" And he literally like turned it off before it was like over, and just like went to the next one. He's all right. After, that's enough. Thank and you. then after class, he was like. You, F, you like did not, you know, you did not do what I said. You like, and I was like, no, this this is how we are. This is what my friends. I was just documenting a slice. No, wrong. You did. You staged that F, F, and I got an argument with him, and uh, I think I quit the class or whatever. But that was, it. and that was it for me because I think we saw Hotel Room, and I, but I still would watch the the tapes or whatever. But yeah, there was this really long period of like you know three, four, five years where Lynch Decades. was kind of. Well, well, Lynch was persona non grata, and well, yeah, but um, but it, it came. We back did have decades of status about Twin Peaks, though. That was one thing to have. We did back here. We did. Uh, you know, twenty six years later was. Uh, well, you when you started, like you you've had like you know these these uh, platforms like you know Netflix and Hulu and all this stuff. You've had Twin Peaks available for years now, right? Where you can just play yeah. it on the background, like it's in the yeah, background. Yeah, I played. I've watched them hundreds of times, and just going on in the background. It's just. Right. Uh, at least the first season, the first season and a half. I don't watch the end. But yeah, I no, I did that for that quiz that I did like a couple months ago. I actually watched these series from start to finish again. And there were some episodes in the second season that I hadn't seen in, in such a long time that certain things that I didn't remember. And there was, it was for a very good reason because it just wasn't very good. But I still, I powered through, I, I watched them all and whatnot. But uh, yeah, so and then, and now we have it. And now we have this this new iteration and 
Uh, we're older now, but you know, we're still, at least for me, I think I expressed in one of these podcasts, like when episode five aired, because they dropped the first four and we got, Murphy and I got to binge them together, uh, but had to wait two more weeks and I was by myself watching the, the fifth episode or whatever. It was, a, it really did take me back to like 1990 because I didn't know what the plot was or anything and it was like I was watching it unfold obviously in real time and it was just it was great and it was such a fantastic episode it, so far it's been my favorite episode so I, and it's like so thank you David Lynch for and from Mark, Mark Frost for coming back and and creating this new iteration and you know showing it to the world and I, I, I'm I'm in love all over again I mean I've got certain you know criticisms or whatever but you know, I've got <laughs> I've got criticisms with Citizen Kane no you know, I was so. not talking after <laughs> talk, I said the same thing like you know I'll say the same thing after episode six after, that I did after episode five which was that this is a you know a master at work here and that we should just stand back in awe and in gratitude that this is even happening and that you know he's going to give us some He's gonna get do it, give it to us the way he is going to give it to us, and uh, I just sit back and enjoy it. And I will maybe you know wish there were less Dougie, and wish there were you know wish they get to sort of things a little faster, but in the end I'm on I'm on board and uh, so thankful that we got to uh, have uh, a revisit to our favorite uh, television series of all time. You know, 26 years later. Thank you, David Lynch and Mark Frost. Don't you think that you know the original series? You know, it was just been 27 years since it's aired, and it's still, you know, out there in the popular culture. People, it's it's gain or gathering new fans. People are discovering it anew. Um, old fans are still into it. Uh, it. It'll live forever, and I think this new series will replicate that uh, in a different way, though, because I think it'll be more in line of something like a Mulholland Drive or like a Blue Velvet. Inland Empire to some extent I'm not the biggest fan of Inland Empire there's some people that really think that is his best movie I don't really see that but I think like you said earlier like this this version of Twin Peaks this 18 hour version this is like a work of art it's going to be in a museum it's going to be on this like loop and people are going to come and spend a couple of hours and just watching it like at some random moment or some people are going to watch all 18 hours I think it's going to be dissected and discussed I think people are going to do like you know papers on it and write about them and it, it, it's going to live on forever because I think that's Lynch's genius. He is a true artist. He creates true art, and he doesn't reveal or give us like you know specific answers to things. He it's like life. We don't have any answers to life, and Twin Peaks is life in 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 you know some fashion, and it's At going least ours. to be. Well, ours, right? Yeah, and I think it's going to like live on. I think it's going to it it may very well may be his magnum opus. And, you know, however long I'm going to live, I'm going to continue watching the original series because I still love it. And I'm going to, you know, watch this new series because I do love it and I know that it's going to get even better. And I'm just looking forward to the next 12 hours and, you know, digesting it and trying to unravel all those mysteries for, you know, the rest of my days. The rest of your days will be playing on a loop while on your deathbed, you think? Yeah, very well. Maybe let's just hope I get through, you know, like, you know, th- these next 12 hours or whatever that was really all we've been saying for the last year just let's not die before the Twin Peaks show, uh, the return comes because then after that we can die happy men 
Yes. That'll be on my deathbed. I'll have like a, you know, instead of a morphine drip, I'm going to have like a cheese dip. Like Lynch a, drip? A queso drip into my veins, and I will have Twin Peaks. See, I'm not sure on... I want Bob creeping around in my final moments. I'd rather watch Murder, She Wrote or Columbo, you know, maybe a little Remington Steel, perhaps some moonlighting, something to lighten up the mood. Or just maybe listen to some music, <laughs> maybe a little George Harrison, a little David Bowie. Yeah, I don't know, something to, a little Cat Stevens, perhaps. But uh, I don't know if I want to invite Bob into my death chamber. <laughs> Any last thoughts for this week? We've uh, gone to taking a trip down memory lane. Uh, anything else you want to add? Um, no, I think, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, this hasn't been too boring to um, people who have no idea who we are. But we just wanted to um, share this um, with anyone who might find it interesting. We've done a lot of podcasts this week. This is the first time we've ever really kind of done this. Murphy and I have known each other for, you know, almost 30 years. Um, so we, we feel like this is something that we can you know, talk about and you know, hopefully it's a, it's a form of entertainment, maybe enlightening to some extent. Um, and uh, we just wanted to share this part you know, with you all because uh, it's, uh, I think we all have, the fans of Twin Peaks all have you know, their own history with the show. And I would be very interested to hear other people's fans uh, podcasts, but I probably won't because I'm a very selfish man. And I'm just focused in on like our podcast, but I, I, I respect other people's histories and everything. But this is our history. Well, it's our history, yeah. And we, it's great that we're in the digital world now that we can all connect as the Twin Peaks community. All these times we were all geeks in our little towns and sitting there watching Twin Peaks and wondering if we were the only ones. Uh, well, we weren't. All of us were out there, and uh, this is our way to uh, contribute. Um, so thanks, guys. We'll see you next week, and uh, thanks for tuning in. <laughs>